again to another Wicked Cool Kids podcast. My name is Joe, and I will be guiding you through the mindscapes of the incredible brains of Kristen, Lee, and Jason. Hi there, guys. Hi. hey If you have all been following along with our previous episodes, you can imagine that we have created some characters and are ready to start playing with them. But maybe some of us draw particular affinity with one race over the others, or perhaps most enjoy playing a specific class. So how do we bring our characters to life and make them, if not unique, then at least different? Let's start with what I think personally seems the most immediately apparent factor in character flavour, the voice. Uh, So do we do accents? Do we change dialects? Or maybe just the vocal tone? Or do we shy away from this completely? Uh, I'm going to start with someone who... (laughs) <laughs> I know, loves RP and, and I think does accents very well. Kristen, how about you? <laughs> I've been stressing about this so much. Um, yeah, so I was freaking out about what questions you were to potentially ask last night and running through all of them in my head. And I was talking about voices in particular, and I said the thing that's currently stressing me out of the grand scheme of things in the world to be stressed out about this shouldn't even rate but it does because I'm me is that Atuza and Miranda's voice voices are more similar than I had wanted them to be I said but I guess I sound like several other people in real life um for a while there when I was living at my house and Chet would call It would be, you better make sure you know exactly which one of us you're speaking to before you start actually speaking because you have gotten in trouble because you assumed it was me and it was in fact either a sister or a mother. So in real life, people do sound similarly, sometimes even like really close to the same. So I guess then fleshing that out even more within a personality of that character and just making sure that if your voice is similar, that's fine. And I think that particularly applies to people who don't choose to do voices. Um, Just making sure that that character isn't the same character copied, 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 copied and reprinted over and over again um, and finding something unique that does not have to do with the voice. So I know you asked me a question. I'm not even quite sure that I answered it 100% because I'm freaking out still a little bit. But (laughs) um, (laughs) I love doing voices and I try to make each one unique. But sometimes I think in the end, there are a couple that that, that can be similar. And there are only so many voices that I can do. There are only so many ways I can pitch my voice. And there are only so many accents that I can successfully do. and you don't you don't have to. I think that there are things above and beyond an accent that you can do to flavor your character and make them quirky. Like if they made weird sounds at the end of their sentences, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually really glad you, you brought up what you did because we're going to come all the way back around to that at the very end. I have a note and everything. So, so. excited. As always, you are exactly on track. Um <laughs> How about you, Lee? How, how do you feel about doing voice? Do you, do you use voices and dialects and things to change your characters? A little bit. Um, I'm not the most confident person. And when I'm DMing, I can throw together all manner of different voices, accents or whatever. And sometimes I'm confident with it, sometimes I'm not. But I know it's a throwaway character or NPC. I don't have to keep that up every session. Um, so I tend to just use my voice or 
just change the pitch a little bit um, and try and put as much emotion as I can into it so it comes across as a little bit different. Is today the day you unleash Francois? No, on it's, a... not. it's not. Uh... No, he's not coming out. <laughs> the world's not ready? No, the world's not. I'm not ready. Oh. <laughs> one day. One day. One day he will be ready and he'll be a fully fleshed out character with a backstory and everything. And then, <laughs> yeah. But no, not today. But yeah, I don't. I can't, I can't, for me, it's, I, I just, it's more of a confidence thing. If I could do it and feel comfortable with it, I would. Um, because I do think it does give some like variation to your characters rather than just having the same voice. And if you do what I do, sometimes people do get confused with uh, whether you're talking or your character talking, which is, which can be a bit frustrating because you want to like try and separate you and your character. But I guess it is what it is. If you if you can't do that and you're not confident or comfortable with it, there's no pressure to do it. And I've never felt pressured into doing it, a voice or anything like that. So that's 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 good. Although uh, I will say, I feel like when when I played with Fred, uh, I felt confident that I knew when Fred was speaking and when you mm. were speaking, even though it was it was sort of an alternative version of Lee almost when you spoke. <laughs> but, but Fred it was... was built for success. He was very much built for success, <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> um, but uh, so, so maybe you don't use accents so much, but um, and you, you talk about sort of tone and, and, and sort of shifting the way that you speak, but do you ever use dialects? Because you're, you can speak Welsh. So you could in theory throw out words or even... It's his first language, or even... as a matter of fact. It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I have not yet. Um, but... When my uh, players end up meeting some tabaxis, um, they'll find out that that's what their language is because that's where they came from. So, yeah, when, when the tabaxis come into it, they'll be well thrown in there. The tabaxis come from Wales? Really? Yeah, all tabaxis come from yeah. Wales. <laughs> Except for that one Russian one that you've got. <laughs> I, I mean, she's self-explanatory. She's weird as can be, so there's no reason why she just speaks with a russian accent i mean she talks to a a, a dead sister in a in a, Shh, in a don't pout. tell everybody <laughs> so yeah there's a reason she speaks like that fair enough how about you jason for voices i don't, I don't really come up with them i kind of if it's a young character i add a little bit of a higher pitch tone if it's a big Bella, add a little bit more growth, and if it's a female, add a little bit more of a higher pitch, softer voice. Uh, the the voice just comes out at the time of like this this character is this way. I'm just gonna do a voice at the time and see what it comes out with, and then I'll stick to it. No, That's not fun. a lot, not a lot of background thought for the voice on my part. Like it doesn't happen for you until you open your mouth yeah. in session zero or one. Yeah. Yeah, it's just how I how I start it off is just how I continue forward with it for the rest of the campaign. I think my goal is to be as chill as you are on so many. Levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like so that approach. That's things. really good. <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking back to uh, mine and yours discussion, Kristen, um, <sighs> previously, where we were both talking about you know we when we're practicing for a character, we might do the accents in the car with the kids or what, mm -hmm. but because I'm I think like you in the sense that the idea of just arriving and then opening my mouth terrifies me no i'm i'm going to be practicing for weeks no i don't i don't like this voice i need to change it slightly but mm -hmm. it, it sounds like as a group in general i think christian you and i 
like to use accents as a way for ourselves to get into the character more than we feel necessarily that it's a vital piece of making them unique. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I I bring that up because I think one of the reasons I wanted to ask this question from the outset is because there is, we've talked about the pressures around um, playing and Lee, you, you said it perfectly that, you know, you, haven't felt the the pressure necessarily to uh, feel forced to do accents. And I think that's a really important point because we've said many times, sometimes people will come to the table feeling like they have to RP or they have to do this or that. Um, And this kind of goes to prove that with three and a half relatively experienced people at the table, we're all saying, no, I mean, accents can be fun, uh, but they can also be completely irrelevant and you can still enjoy yourself and make your character unique because all of us here have very unique characters yeah i think it's less about the accent of the character and how they speak if that makes sense Mm -hmm. the structure of their Mm -hmm. sentences and any quirks that they might have that they throw on top of the accent is probably more defining of a character flavor than than the accent itself yeah i feel like you do that really well um with dialects and things like this with like you say the the kind of structure of their speech and the um um the what's the word tempo of their speech uh, i feel like you're really good at, at separating different characters even if we're in a room full of of fox people uh, <laughs> when we move from one to the next when we move from one to the next there's, it feels like that we are uh, speaking to different different characters. So, uh, and that doesn't necessarily need an accent as much as, like you say, it just needs to change a shift in the way that they speak. Yeah, energy or or tempo or, or like structure of how they go through the words. You can sometimes take a Yoda approach to it, but not to the extreme where they just switch around the sentences. Can just be that's what this character does, but you don't need the, the accent to do that. No. And actually, that's that's leads on to a really nice point of, I, I and I think something that's generally less obvious, um, in flavoring your character, making your character unique, making them one of a kind, uh, about the actions that they take, not just the physical actions, but you know the verbal actions as well, and so on, the things that they do and say, um, rather than the way that they say them. So you know, are clerics always pious uh and do rogues always go to pickpockets and would you barbarian always remind people of the hulk if they'd never met them before like how how do we flavor our characters in that in that sense i think it'll be nice to hear what you've got to say jason because you've already touched on this with the uh uh with the speech but do you do you use a character's actions and specifically what they might do and say as, as a way of making them unique and flavoring them I guess to a point, yeah. Um, for for example, for the fox people, the the leader is quite a butch uh, female fox, and um, so I went for a more feminine voice, a little softer, but still quite firm. Um, there was a like a intern ish like new baby fox there that was a god, and he was quite um, afraid and really like just suspicious of everything and worried all the time. So he, I reflected that in his. Um, in his dialect and he'd say stuff to calm himself like those soothing mechanisms uh, and mannerisms like oh, oh buddy oh no oh oh <laughs> and that, those kind of vocal tremors to to bring that character alive and then you got the the big hench dude who's been in the game for a long time who talks like this and oh, i'm the big guy and oh, i'm gonna hit you with my big hammer and it just from the dn's 
perspective, you want to have those clear-cut character boxes to put them into because the players know exactly what this character's doing based on voice alone. You wouldn't need the uh, the image on the screen to know this is a really big burly man with a big hammer. Uh, and, oh, no, I don't want to... Oh, oh. You don't need the image to know what that character vaguely resembles based on the, the voice. And I feel like that's why I, I just, at the time, in the moment, I just do it because it seems more natural to do it that way when you're doing multiple characters at the same time rather than one specific character. So I've come from that mindset, working on those, what's their personality and how does that define, define their thing? So there was a... um like a mage who was really interested in magic, and he 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 had a uh, a stutter, and he'd speak to you like this because he's he's not really um good with people. So he has this stutter, and he's afraid of it, and he doesn't want people to know. So he's always studying. That's what led him to become like this expert in the magical realm. Because rather than going out to play with kids, he is inside studying magic, for example, because of his stutter. So the stutter becomes part of his personality. And when he interacts with the players at that point, then that becomes his quirk. And uh, even down to when he's writing letters, he, he includes the stutter in there, so you know it's from him. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so it, it, it puts that character, here's that box, this character is this character, it can't be mistaken for any other kind of character. And maybe, maybe it's because I struggle with my what like the characters I play in campaigns have those kind of just generic voices. The voice kind of suits their image. That's fair. I really like the idea of, of uh, you described the kind of giving, you mentioned, sorry, the point that you have to sometimes give the idea of what the character is like verbally because we don't have that that physical image. Um, and I don't know if anyone else found this when they first started out, but especially using uh, online tabletops, or simulators or anything like this i found myself if i wanted the character to be uh sort of skittish i would be moving the token around a lot and honestly i think that was sometimes lost because it just looked like i was faffing around or if i wanted the character to be forward and and sort of aggressive then i'd try and keep my token ahead of everyone else's but again it unless there's a verbal element behind that it's difficult for a a GM I think to see whether that's part of the character or just the player control of the token just moving them around at at random well I mean I'm going to interject though because I think that there are all sorts of different learners right there are kinesthetic learners there are audio learners there are visual learners and I think that each one of those two elements does have a place there are people who can't really pick up on the inflection of your voice or the tone of your voice or anything like that. There are people who are actually deaf to that. And if they see your visual of your 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 icon moving around frenetically or constantly trying to cut them off at the past because they want to be in front, I do think that that still serves a purpose and maybe even more for some people and less for, for others. So uh, don't devalue it. <laughs> it, it. It's definitely something I've picked up on on games where like Joey keep on cutting me off yeah (laughs) yeah and if if you if you have the bandwidth to be able to put them both in concert that's amazing that's a lot of work though um so whichever one that I think you can can manage is great even at the time 
character to character. Yeah, I do agree. And thinking about it, if I look back to my CBAT, my uh, Ice Buyer Peak campaign, there were two characters in particular who were partners in crime, let's say, and were constantly (laughs) running ahead of the party and just just wandering off on their own. And there was an entirely physical element to that because they wouldn't say a word. They would just disappear. And then Ruben would turn around and say, well, where's where's Betty and Alfred Mm -hmm. gone? And then I would say roll for initiative because something they would <laughs> have come across the something game terrible. paused icon pops up on the screen. Yeah. So so I think that that physical interaction, yeah, it definitely has its place. Um, but I think it is easy to forget as well that, uh, yeah, as you say, Christians, there are different types of learners. And for those who the, the physical or the visual element is less important, they won't not only will they not necessarily notice the, the movement of my token. But they won't, even if they do notice it, they won't necessarily put two and two together and understand that it's, oh, that's what that character is doing. They might just think, well, they're just, they're bored and faffing around with, with their, their token or whatever. So it's, yeah. I, f- I feel like it's, it's good practice if you can, and not everyone can, to try and put those two components um, in, in, in parity with one another. But you could also talk about the uh, how they're acting in the moment as well. If they are fidgety, you can describe the kind of are they they're comforting them, they're stroking the hands, they're they're really kind of rubbing the hands together as they're talking to you, almost in a fidgety way, as if they're nervous about something. Although the the dialogue that they're saying seems quite confident, so maybe they're hiding something. And in certain descriptions like that can go out. Maybe the, the players might want to roll an insight to check are, are they nervous because public speaking or are they trying to hide something and creating those kind of descriptive but visual components can can help with that kind of stuff yeah for sure I, do you know what i it, i started using uh videos on my campaign because i wanted to show my face and i realized that so much of what i was doing and saying was just lost on my players because i was there doing lots of actions and showing off and then and they all they heard was my voice so i started trying to encourage that um i feel like that's something that's really lost in the online scene and i personally very much encourage however uncomfortable people are if they can if they wish to to share their cameras because again like like you say jason like the the kind of ruminating with your hands and the the, just all those little interactions you can show those on camera while you're speaking Mm -hmm. it almost in character and it doesn't have to be a big thing it can make rp a lot easier because you can do little fidgety things which is one of the reasons i prefer in-person games over other Mm -hmm. ones I, i i love the uh the simplicity of a vtt and the control of elements about it but having your players around the table and then getting into the character that they're talking to visually uh, and audibly in that moment the players can pick up on the body language as well because we're humans we pick up on that kind of stuff really easy Mm -hmm. if we can see the person that we're talking to definitely i mean i i also am a proponent of using video because i think like you know somebody's talking and all of a sudden they're touching their face a lot or they're they're stroking their chin and that's really easy for me to do and for you to see if the cameras are on but if they're not on and so i think a lot of people get caught up in oh i didn't well i mean so 
from a woman's point of view. Maybe I didn't put on makeup today or my hair isn't right or um, I've got dirty laundry in my background or whatever. I mean, put on some sort of filter, but also if the people that you're playing with are going to judge you and the, their experience is going to be lessened because you have friggin' a pile of dirty laundry in the back <laughs> of you, then maybe you're playing with the wrong people. But I know that not everybody is comfortable with showing their face. I think for similar reasons that people are not comfortable maybe doing an accent or going outside of their wheelhouse is because it it makes you a little vulnerable. Hey, I mean, you're only used to seeing my voice and now of seeing my voice. Good Lord, more coffee. <laughs> you're only used to hearing my voice and now you see my face and maybe my face doesn't even match up to my voice. But there are so many little uh, micro expressions that you can convey with your face that maybe don't even come across over the microphone. Maybe that's why I pace around so much when I'm playing games. <laughs> you? Because I, I can't, I can't act it out that has to be in my head so my body needs to physically get up and start moving because i can't act in person how how the i want the character to act so i'm up pacing around um unable to stay still when when i'm running games well maybe that's why it's interesting though because i'm gonna out him because he's been awfully quiet for a hot second but lee will handle being on video when he's playing a character but doesn't like to do it when he's dming versus joe you like to be on i think you probably like to be on camera all the time because of it's something that you're okay with but you you don't have that that issue where like oh god i've got so many different things that i'm trying to manage here on the dm screen you're thinking about, I want them to be able to see my facial expressions. I want them to be able to see what I'm doing with my hands. Yeah. Um, so, Lee, what's your problem? My problem Let's is start. that I cannot, like, <laughs> I can't keep secrets or anything like that. So if something's up, like, <laughs> one, of the, one of the NPCs is lying through the teeth, I'm there with a big grin on my face. So you seeing that would go, yeah, there's something up here. We need to press him for everything we can. And I'd like to keep it mysterious because, you know, secrets and all that. I mean, but you're so good at Clock Tower. That's totally <laughs> different. Totally different. It. I mean, it's not though. Yeah, because D and D's more of a storytelling game, not a com like a com competition, competitive game where it's uh, player versus player or anything like that. But it's you're a group still of... trying to convince people you're not lying. <laughs> I'm not evil, Kristen. I promise. And nine times out of ten, I'm not. It's just that one time. Uh, hmm. Anyway, that's a different conversation. But <laughs> I propose to you that what you really need, Lee, is is a paper DM screen or a wooden DM screen that you can have in front of you, so that you can just hide behind it whenever you, you yeah. whenever so, someone comes across a secret. And you're like, hee 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 hee, yeah. <laughs> straight underneath it. Yeah, yeah that, that would definitely be. help. Okay. Um. One of the things I asked, though, just let's circle back a little bit. Is is how about your classes? Like, do your when you're trying to make a character unique or add flavor to them, do you take into account their class? Does that guide your actions? Do you, like I said, if you're a rogue, would you always play the sneaky beaky, not not evil necessarily, but naughty at least, um, character, or do you? Because we talked before about how, you know, sometimes we will deliberately go against the tropes and so on, but um, how much does that guide us when we're trying to add flavor? Uh, I, don't, I guess it all depends on, like, what, what backstory you've come up with, because, yeah, you, you can... Going against it and, and not, like, following suit and always being that rogue who's like, extremely sneaky and 
a kleptomaniac, it, you know, that, that can work and add some depth to it. Um, you can really bring that forward to maybe make that the, the forefront of your character and flavor it that way. Um, so I, I don't, I don't like to, like, I'm not against it. I, there's a number of times I've, I've myself used characters of, as written, like a fighter who's frontline, solid, burly. Yeah. But I do like the idea of going against it and just, yeah, just doing something weird and different, I'd say. Not unique. Do, do you not pick the classes because of those skills, though? Is my question. If you're playing a rogue, you want you playing it because you want to be sneaky and do the pickpocket and thing. Otherwise, ah. why would like don't play the rogue? Play a ranger that has the yeah. same skills in sneakiness, but is less pickpocket. For me, it depends on subclasses and stuff because sometimes the subclass that I'll pick for that class fits so well with the backstory and everything and how it ties into that. Yeah, it might be better to go for a ranger and play it that way but all the all the stuff you can do and everything fits so well with the backstory i'll you know i'll play that character who's not so good at being sneaky as a rogue just because i want that sort of flavor and experience i mean i think that sometimes maybe you pick a rogue but you aren't a rogue because you're stealing things you're a rogue because you're a magician you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm a rogue because I want to steal things. I'm a rogue because I want to have a good sleight of hand, right? And sleight of hand can apply to many things other than just stealing something. Um, so I think yes. And I think that's really easy. And in, in if you're struggling, but I think that if you want to have an off the wall concept, that it's absolutely within the realm of possibility to say, I want to pick a this class, but not because I want to be whatever this trope is, but because I want to utilize those skills that they would typically have and translate that a little differently in this character. Um, and I think, Joe, when you just kind of posed the question, um, my my furbold cleric, Cora, um, she was a cleric because her mom was a cleric, and so she was brought up to be a cleric. And my idea for her, which got shut down, my idea for her was that she liked the idea of still being a cleric, but she didn't want to be a life domain cleric. That's what her mom was, and that's what she grew up as. But she wanted to kind of deviate from that path and go a little differently. She wanted to um, become a wildfire uh, or whatever it is, something light. with fire, light cleric. Thank you. Um, because we did talk about going into yep. Druid and wildfire wasn't allowed either because different story. But um, I think there's an element of that, too. You know, I'm thinking specifically of Karn for you. Karn's parents brought him up a certain way and he could have very easily have had those skills and started off as a rogue because of his upbringings and then multiclassed into something else because that's who he progressed into so um i don't think it has to be so hard and fast um when you're talking about a cleric um there is there are so many different pantheons of gods good bad in between tricksy whatever that that if you want to have a cleric that's a piece of shit you can do that <laughs> i've i've played with several of those clerics that um won't heal you i can but i'm not gonna you know, I've got other things to do. And if you die, well, I've, I worship the God of death. So cool. Go die. And then he's got another soul to 
you know, worship him in the beyond. So, um, yeah, it's interesting for sure, but I don't, I don't think it has to be so hard and fast. I think it largely depends on your DM, uh, what you can really get away with. It always goes back to check in with your DM and see what they're comfortable with. Cause if you've got a solid DM, they will work with you to make anything that you bring to the table work. As long as it doesn't you know, like take the mick too much and just ruin the game. Um, so yeah, like being overpowered or anything like that. But most DMs, I'm fairly certain, if they're worth their salt, will make whatever you've got in mind work for you. Are you kind of separating the skill from the trope at that point, though? Is is the question that brings up? I go because I want to play this way, but I don't. I'm, it doesn't matter what the skills are. I'm still going to play this way. Whereas I, I associate the skill with the trope. I go if I want to play something sneaky, I'll play a rogue. If I want to play something that's on the front lines, I'll play a fighter or a paladin. If I want to play something that wields magic, I'll play a druid, a sorcerer, or a wizard. They are the tropes. The skills are the tropes in themselves. Yeah. Whereas the personality is then different for those characters. I think that there are other ways that you could go about that, though, right? If I want to be a sneaky character, I don't have to choose rogue. I could be a bugbear that is naturally stealthy. You know, I could, I could, I could then mix classes into it. I can mix proficiencies into it. Um, I can take up feats along the way, which give me either uh, access to magic or access to different whatever, and and build that character a different way. So I don't, I don't think that it has Is to. Is that not to then be tied? using the the skills <clears throat> allowed then to reinforce a trope that you want to be though? Because that's all I see it as is <clears throat> a toolbox. And go, I want to be this trope, so I'm going to use the pick and bits that I can out of this rule set to make this trope. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, because I want to, like, if you want to be a sneaky bugbear, then you're going to pick tropes that make you more sneaky. And that is the, the trope. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be all sneaky all the time. No. Is, I think, what I'm saying. Like, you don't, you don't have to go rogue, especially, right? Like, there have been. I'm not so good at it, so generally what I do is I go, help Chet, who likes to like min-max and really figure out the mechanics of how something can work, um, and he'll go, oh, well, you could start in multi-class and do this many levels of this and this many levels of this and gain this proficiency with this, and you can go and take this half feet and blah, 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 blah. So I think that there are ways that you can still build it. It's much more complicated. I'm too dumb to do it unless I ask for help, but I, I do think that you can still get those tropes without being a particular class. I, I think what's coming to mind is the character I just created for your campaign, Jason, is that her race, she's a kender, her race is very much so it leans towards rogue. And I didn't want that trope to be so ingrained and be her identity when it already was going to be a little bit because of the rumors of her race i wanted to kind of steer clear of it but i still also wanted an element of that Trixie roguey kind of nature so i chose her race based off of that i feel like i'm kind of talking and i should now but you know <laughs> no, what I mean? no, maybe no, no. you're 100 like... <laughs> agree now that leads you on on to um do you base your your character off your race and your class so you're just perfectly answering the question is that there's elements of the class and the race in the characters that you you make correct yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i i feel like the, that whole discussion was 
sort of a chicken and egg situation as well, right? Do you, <laughs> do you, do you, do you pick your pick your backstory and then choose your race based on that, or do you choose your race and then 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 build backstory around? Yeah, that? I think it depends which way. If I start with a character idea, I'm going to pick the the race and the class which best suits that character idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm starting with a a uh, a class and a race, um, I'm going to make a character that will somewhat fall in to the generic description of what this class and race will look like or will be yeah and i think one informs the other i do absolutely love though that uh christian you brought up uh being a sneaky bugbear because in um tomb of annihilation i am a sneaky bugbear and that is almost entirely by accident because i chose my backstory for is that he's <laughs> he's essentially lost in the wilds, right? He got fed up with humans and people and and races that had intelligence, uh, and and sort of wandered the wilds. Um, so he's covered in moss and uh, is is not very good at, at communicating with people and tries to hide shy away from them, although can do a lot. Turns out he's a druid because that fitted into that whole mindscape as well and from from the way the campaign i was brought into the campaign choosing druid seemed to make sense from the um from the group that i was from but as a total side effect that i didn't do deliberately he i have a plus five i think on my stealth already and i um although he's very large he has a feat that means he can fit into really small spaces for the spaces the size of a small creature and can pass through other creatures and also gets um, um, extra damage on his sneaky rolls if he makes the first attack before someone else. Like all these little features that make him a very sneaky character that almost by accident. But once I had built him and saw that, one of the first interactions he had with you guys was essentially made himself look like a rock. Like you met him, he was tall, and then he was like, oh, "I don't like this. I'm going to hunker down." And he basically made himself look like a rock. And because of my stealth roll, he rolled very well and looked like a very convincing rock. So I didn't build deliberately a sneaky character or choose feats based on his race, or it just sort of happened and helped me create this. I I think fairly unique character. I've he's he's fun to play and I, I don't think i haven't really come across anything like it um but as, as well as race and class and all the other things and it, this sort of got touched on and then abandoned immediately what about traits and equipment like aside from a warlock's obsession with eldritch blast have you ever played say uh a pyromaniac wizard and chosen to only take fire-based spells or uh, refuse to use larger weapons as a gnome because you know in your mind this person wouldn't be able to carry bigger weapons even though they could benefit you and technically would be allowed how, how much do we let things like our equipment influence our um, flavor of our character i think there have been two characters that just popped into mind um that i intentionally did that with um the Vakra windwalker she hundred percent. Everything was flavor. Everything was flavor. She, if it, if it was a useless spell, she was taking it anyway. If it was the right match for her as a character, and I loved that. I loved being able to have things that just kind of fit her. And she was interesting too because she was um, 
oh God, I'm going to say it, Eladrin, Eladrin, the seasonal elf. Um, and so she changed um, even who she was. And I was given um, the ability to be able to actually change when something there was there was an emotional catalyst instead of having to wait for a long rest or a short rest or whatever the the mechanic actually is um so she was kind of different depending on the day and the emotions of the day so there would be times where she would have a spell but she would only use that spell if she were in a particular season um the other one that came to mind is Daisha. Daisha was um, a, for anybody who doesn't know, I took the idea to Jason that I didn't want to know who my character was. And so we found this character dressed in a black cloak on the ground in the middle of the street. And it was, okay, we're approaching this character. We're going to roll to see if this character is male or female. We're going to roll to see how tall this character is. We're going to roll to see. And we rolled up. Everything from start to finish, like uh, uh, we're going to roll to see if this character is gay, straight, bisexual or other. Like we rolled for everything on her. And I figured, OK, well, if we're rolling and randomizing it as we continue to create her, I really kind of want to give her some some niche things. And that continued. She was a sorcerer. She was a draconic sorcerer. And she was, um, ooh, was she copper dragon? I think whichever one is lightningy. And so I took a lot of her spells that were if it was lightning damage, I was taking it because it was flavor. It went along with who she was as the brand that I was making her. The, the and, continuity between the the character and the abilities that the character has. Yeah. Yes. Now, mechanically, Sometimes that's a really poor choice because then you come up on things that are immune to lightning damage or resistant to lightning damage. And oh shit, I only have lightning damage spells and I've got this dagger that I can throw from all the way back there. But I've got 14 hit points and I'm level 12 and I'm going to die if I do anything other than eh, fuck this dagger over right now. So I'll just... <laughs> I think that that narratively is, is great though. Like, yeah, yeah. So... Mechanically... If you're one of those people that wants to feel effective, that can be miserable situationally. But it's really fun to play a character that are like, oh, oh, we're here in this storm. I got you. I'm going to pull the lightning from the sky and fium, 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 it all over the place. So, um, yeah, I think I think that it can be really fun to do that. Yeah, that can definitely lead to some uh, really good RP moments with the rest of the group. Because if you become ineffective in that moment, there'll be somebody else who can step up and will be effective. Mm. And then... You could sort of afterwards play on that and say, "Oh yeah, you know, like, you were really good then," or like, oh, "I didn't realize that you were on were only able to do that sort of ability." So it sort of sparks that conversation and, uh, yeah, just keeps the debate going between uh, the party, bringing them closer. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely for that sort of stuff. It allows that well, we touched on this on an earlier episode, but it allows other players to step up and take that frontline position because their skills are perfect for the job, where your character's been training the whole life to deal fire damage, but you're fighting a red dragon that is yeah, immune yeah. to fire damage. So you, someone else needs to step in with their speciality and come up with this, the, the plan for the situation. And I think having those kind of uh, limitations is, is always great for character development and, and narratively for the DM to, to use. For sure. But uh, like 
like Chris and like I often if I play I play support characters when I do get to play characters all of their spells are purposely picked to be supportive and none of them usually are damage unless it's a dire situation and it's a last cause like I have to do this wall of fire because it's the only option I have but otherwise I will not um cause damage to other people willingly unless the situation actually provides for it but equipment joe you asked about that as well mm -hmm. i i did once play a goblin that used a battle axe which is much bigger than him but that was part of his character he wanted to be a great adventurer and all these adventures had these big massive weapons so he became a uh, a pal a goblin paladin with this big battle axe and he'd just swing it round and creating that narratively as a player and saying how he, he gets on his heels and he swings the axe round and does multiple hits at the same time. <laughs> Using the gear that way to create characteristics is is great. So yeah, equipment and spell wise, I definitely take into into consideration the actual character and what they would have rather than go, oh, my wizard's been locked up in a tower for hundreds of years and the only thing around him is magma. But for some reason, I'm going to have this wall of water spell. <laughs> yeah, rather than <laughs> yeah. using the elements around their backstory to create and inform their decisions. I, w I will say, I, I, d I don't want to, I, I really hesitate to put people off doing whatever it is that they want to do. But I will say, I feel like it is probably better and safer and all around more fun to play the kind of characters that, that Kristen described where you, you might not be making the, the most smart choices in terms of your features and abilities and so on, because you're focused down this track of, um, of, of, you know, like you say, only dealing lightning damage or what have you, that those scenarios are much better. I think in homebrew campaigns where the DM has a bit more control over building scenarios for you, where you can feel effective at times because if you go into a pre-written module and if your dm either isn't confident maybe they're not confident building in homebrew stuff or they they're new or it would have terrified me if a player had done that in, in my first campaign um it, it can be very difficult to kind of help the player be effective if there is already a set in stone storyline and, and scenarios and so on but if the campaign is completely homebrew and you you basically are only useful underwater then at some point probably the campaign is going to take the whole party underwater oh, and you're yeah. going to be the hero for at least a couple of sessions and it, it doesn't have to be like on a session basis for example for lee and chet's characters when we started our monday game i, I didn't give them like tickets to that main area where the rest of you guys where they had to sneak in there but i knew they could because their class and, and their skills uh and their back background uh, for their characters alluded to we're probably just going to go rob zone to get past these guys and go in there. <laughs> so i provided the opportunity for them to do that and as a dm it's great with those backstories and knowing the classes because i can use it it's helpful to know oh he's playing this class he must be skilled at this uh, particular thing so i can now incorporate that into my narrative storytelling to allow them to shine in this moment nice and I will say, uh, I had at least one character, uh, character I played with uh, that Liam played, which was a goblin who was basically fire-obsessed, who did nothing but throw firebolts a lot of the time, which also ended up with a fireball being thrown in a very small room, taking out most of us, because that's what his character would have done. And that was a pre-written module, um, and he was playing to his character, and it, 
having said what I just said, it didn't make it any less fun. He, his character was still great. The game was still great, um, uh, despite what happened. Um, just just for the least, I think, visible way, for a number of reasons. What about artwork? How do we flavor our character? Do we bother flavoring our character with artwork? I already know the answer for one of you, and I already know the answer for the other. <laughs> but how, how much Start do we... the person you don't know. <laughs> how much do we let the, the artwork flavor our character? Is this... Given that this is only tactic typically addressed at the initial introduction and then with a headshot how, how much do we let artwork actually flavor our characters i'm gonna go last this this could be real <laughs> real quick and that's absolutely yeah, fine I, d- I don't know I, I i tend to find a picture and then work with that and if they look a certain way like oh yeah they're probably lean towards like necromancy spells it, it can help it can like sort of give you that like, jumping off point well They've got that look about them. That's what they probably would do. So, um, but yeah, I don't. I'm not massively like I'll get a picture and then flavor everything around it. Mm. Yeah, I, I come from a similar point uh, from as Lee, where I I let my background and my class and and how how I want the character to be inform my character, which is why I do the hero forge route so I can control what it looks like based on the background, uh, the backstory and the skills that they've got really informs the image. And as I said in previous episodes, I've gone for more of a, this person is missing a limb or has a scar on their eye. And that is because of something that happened in their backstory. So I need the the, the image to actually match the backstory in order to for it to the continuity is key for me so if they if they trained the entire life to be a woodworker for my friday game uh and they, they do mostly like carpentry they're gonna have these big muscles and be really working with wood and a lot of their adornments on their person will be made of wood because that's their skills um so the continuity of that has to kind of gel for me in order for me to believe this character is an actual living being in in their world yeah that's fair. I, th- I think I've said before, like I, although uh, I do the clothing first and then build out my my character from there, it, I do sort of, and I don't think I made this very clear last time. I kind of feel like I do artwork for other people, not for myself. I don't necessarily flavor my character with artwork for me. That is almost a hundred percent for others. I use it as a baseline for myself, but I don't actually need a finished. When I say I start with the the clothing, I don't actually need a physical drawing of that to be able to still build my character. Any any artwork for me is for others, not for me. How about you, Kristen? And then there's me, your resident <laughs> weirdo. Um, I can't, I don't even know if I've mentioned it on podcast before. I know that you three know my brain doesn't actually work. I think the way it's supposed to work where I can't <laughs> don't nod your head like that. I can't close my <laughs> eyes and have you go imagine a horse and I go uh mm, I mean a horse has four legs. There a horse has a ta- like I can't close my eyes and see a real horse that's not it's like something i've drawn which is it's just fantastic if we were all the same chris and the world be fucking boring i know i know i know so embrace your differences i i have to and i talked about it in character character creation i oftentimes will start my character creation journey with looking for pictures i have an idea i want to play a moon elf and i'm going to search 
moon elf and I'm going to scroll through pictures and I'm going to click on a picture that kind of feels right and then I'm going to look at the pictures that it recommends based off of that and oh shit now this moon elf doesn't really look like a moon elf but that's the kind of vibe that I'm going for did I want to play a warlock I'm going to click on this picture and see what this picture leads me to and to the point where I will look at that character and stare at that character I have audio clips recorded of myself because I stare at the picture and then I try to get the voice and if the voice right this is why I practice beforehand if the voice doesn't sound like it belongs with my image then I'm redoing the voice until I find something that kind of matches for me um so my artwork heavily I don't want to say heavily influences, but it kind of does. It just it's is all right. right. It's all so integral in who I create as a character. And um, I did talk about it before. I had an initial picture for this last one that I created that was great. And I really wanted to use her, but I was struggling with writing the story. And then I said, well, maybe this isn't who this is. And I kept looking for artwork. And then I found artwork and I was like, oh, okay, this is who it is. And then the backstory literally fell out of me. And it all kind of comes together. I was talking to Chet last night. In my backstory, I think, is where every every piece of flavor, not every piece, maybe like 95% of the flavor, everything is established when I'm making that character, which is why I have my rough estimate of 2,000 word friggin' backstories is because I have just completely immersed myself in who this person is right then and there. And there are a couple of things when I come to the table, how they interact with other people, something that happens in the story that then changes my character as a person will maybe create some new character traits from that. But but so much of my character is established all tied up right there in that package of character creation. Like I think that's really important as well because it's easy to think of of character creation of being this that you build from the ground you build something and then get to the point where you have to decide how you're going to flavor as, as a last minute thought but it, I, it, in your case it's almost from the very beginning from the very conception that is where flavor begins because mm -hmm. you are trying to match what might happen at the end with what you see in front of you now which is a super cool way of doing it and i'm kind of jealous that i can't do it that way um <laughs> I'm going to ask a real pointed question and, and you're going to have to react quickly. So given all these pieces of the puzzle, I want to now know how each of us ultimately decides on the personality and flavor of a character. If you had to say one thing as a single word, like this is the thing that has the greatest impact. And we'll start with Kristen because I already know the answer now. Um, what's the single greatest, uh, you're going to pause, uh, point of flavor? for us what's the thing is it the backstory is it the class is it abilities backstory. is it is backstory. it is it picture is it whatever backstory backstory backstory, backstory. yeah i gotta agree with chris and it's backstory that's that's where you pull it all from and it may change along the way but yeah definitely backstory uh, pressure and pressure in the moment this this is it this is how they're going to be start off and through the campaign they're going to develop to who they really are because i like that journey Mm -hmm. uh, my my character's not decided at the beginning of the campaign. It is decided during the campaign. The campaign is what makes them their character, from my point of view. The backstory is just a short blurb of this is where you come from. This is you now. Short. Continue. I I hundred percent <laughs> agree with you. I take offense to the fact that you say short blurb because we've already had discussions in the past <laughs> about how my backstory is like 
couple of little sentences and everyone else is just freaking paragraphs or pages or novels or novellas um but yeah i i agree with you like for me i have some flavor in mind i have some character in mind but ultimately the final flavor the final personality is kind of developed on the on on the route through the campaign yeah the, the backstory is the campaign for me it's the um I want I want to be the the journey of their backstory and see where they're on and then just let them go just push them. Yeah. So this this was You're a done. debate last night as we were talking about it though and that's that's what his point was and I said okay but wait a minute if I started a story right now if I started recording my life right now I already have a backstory from year zero up until now I already have a backstory and that backstory leads me to who I am right now starting this story so I. I feel like, and it's it's why my backstories generally always start with my parents or my grandparents. Like I build up my whole family story and who it is that makes me who I am, starting right here. And I can feel free to edit and and change that backstory as I go along. The other day, I said, "Oh, I've decided that Miranda is a professional ballroom dancer. Is that okay, Lee?" Mm. And he was like, "Yeah." And I said, "It makes sense because she was trained to be." graceful and fluid in her movements and she also has an appearance to keep up so i want this so i just added that to her backstory and i think that that's okay to be flexible in that way as well if you have a backstory that you've created that you can say my my cora character originally she was going to be called wick and that was a nickname that her mother gave her wick for a candle she was found on fire 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 wick you know, whatever. It, it made sense. And that literally never, ever came out in the story, ever. So it just got deleted from my backstory. I think it's okay to be flexible with that. Once once you've written it doesn't mean it has to be there in stone. It's definitely okay to be flexible. I, th I think it helps your process in, in a way that you have the kind of mind that... So, for example, you've got your... Um, we've discussed before, like uh, answering a list of questions, basically like a questionnaire or a dating sheet or whatever for the character that you're playing um, to help kind of build your understanding of who they really are i love that concept i can't do it i've tried i've realized I'm the same i exactly the same come to answer it and i'm like i don't i don't know because i don't know them yet and i have to already be in yeah, yeah playing and i get to scenarios and i'm like actually how would khan react to this and then in the moment i'm like this is 100 percent. i know khan this is what he would do but if you'd asked me two weeks ago and i wrote it down I, there's yeah. no way I could come up with it. An it's a feeling for me in the moment of how that character. I mean, it's the, the short backstory informs their decisions and who they are personally. Um, but situations like this is the main arc of their story. Otherwise, why am I telling it? If the if the main arc of their story is in the backstory, why am I continuing from this point? <clears throat> it loses interest for me. So I have to play in the moment and react, be reactionary to what is going on and develop that character and make this their main story. This is their creation moment, is the campaign, rather than their creation moment being in the backstory for me, because I can't work that way. The backstory only informs, like, this is my point of view, but in this moment I have to react to this situation. And has the, the situation around me, does my backstory play influence in this and how much does it influence my decision right now? And sometimes it just doesn't. So I don't put a lot of pressure on myself to get it into the backstory. I go, this is where he's come from. This is where, what has happened to lead him to this point. This is how, this is now from this point onward, how he develops being the character and telling the story that they want to tell. Yeah. And I feel like I work better that way. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, so Christian, you mentioned, um, 
the impact of other characters that and how they might have an impact on on uh, your character but i wanted to speak to lee on that because jason as you say um in your campaign chet and jay and lee have similar characters they both had to steal stuff to get into uh the arena that we ended up in so lee when you first met chet's character did you have any kind of changes in your flavor or any any mindsets that that maybe adjusted because you didn't want to have two similar personalities or maybe wanted to like diverge a little bit did, did how did that interaction happen for you well my my character is like he is sort of uh stealthy and able to steal some stuff but he's not really good at it so but what he is good at is lying and convincing people to do things for him so knowing that he wasn't as good at it he just convinced the chat's character to like oh it's a good idea we should do this and steal these tickets oh but it's not actually stealing because they were a bit of a an ass to us so we're just swapping crap tickets for better tickets so they can experience how it is like to be like us so what you're saying is, you know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> did did it ever concern you though that you might have you know too many parallels between the two, or did you just not care and go in and, and no, play yourself? No, we're both playing warlocks, but I I know we're we'll play them vastly different, like vastly different. Um, whereas I'm going to be more of a on the front line type of person. Um, I think Chet's mainly at the back he don't want to be at the front yeah he's, he's a multi-class i'm not going to tell you what he's multi-classed as if you don't know but yeah he's he's multi-class i i do love the fact that if if anyone had seen our, our first couple of sessions um going back to what we said about oh do you let your role control your your race or your class control your your character flavor and so on and so on and we had this whole discussion about will you pick your class based on personality or the other way around but what you've described if anyone had seen our first couple of sessions they would probably assume that you're both rogues not warlocks mm -hmm. right and based yeah. on what jason has already said about you having to steal something to get in and the way that you describe your character like that's that immediately to me would scream rogue not not warlock so i, I love that we've kind of come back to that somehow so given everything that we've discussed i've got one last question um, that I guess is going to be quick and then I've got something to come back to you, Kristen. Does it actually matter if our characters are unique? How important is it to us that they are completely one of a kind? Not no, important to me in the, in the slightest. I yeah, think what cool. people forget is that like you, you as a person, you Joe, you Lee, you Jason, me Kristen, we are unique. So try as you may to even be somebody's twin you're still going to play it differently at the end of the day what you bring to it is going to be different and it may be similar and it may be really similar but you're still going to have enough difference to set you apart and too much pressure on making yourself unique is just going to make you crazy i i think that i do what i do to give myself some real hard and fast cues to be able to fulfill the image swirling around in my brain and be able to convey that to everybody else, right? I give myself a quirk so I can constantly fall back on that. Like Atuza is constantly worried about uh, people being 
racist and judging her from that. And so she's got a couple of personality traits that have developed from that. And that helps me play her. And if you guys never, ever put two and two together, that's fine. It's not there for you. It's for me to be able to play her the way that I want to play her. Um, I I agree. Play play them how you want to play them. Don't don't care about what other people think about your character that you've made. It's Mm -hmm. pointless thought experiment. That brings me back so beautifully to what I was going to talk to you about, Kristen. <laughs> which is, you have a character who takes part in two universes simultaneously. Oh, who's that? A Tuza. A 2.0-za? A 2.0-za. <laughs> so, so, do you try to... That's a really, I think, unique situation in itself in some ways, but do you care about trying to make a Tuza and a 2.0-za unique themselves or do you just think of them as the same person in like essentially branched timelines or something so yes no um she she started out as one person and then she's on separate journeys and i've often thought to myself well is her little adventure with odo and willie and octo is is that something that has happened in the interim you know, between where her backstory kind of was and then where she is now. Is that something that happened in the meantime? Um, and I really think at this point, um, they might just be Loki-style different timelines for me. Um, it would have been different. It would have been 100% different if you came into Tomb and you played Odo. Mm-hmm. If you came into Tomb and you brought me Odo, it would have been different. Which was really tempting, by the way. That was a, a very real consideration. But uh, I didn't think he would survive long in Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> You'd be surprised. But mm. um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because she they're they're not like separate quirks. Um, mechanically, there are a couple of things that are differently. Like she uses a different weapon here than she does over here. Um, but a lot of who she is as a person and those things that we have established, um, are there, but specific things like Tim from Tomb of Annihilation doesn't cross over into the pick and play world. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not there yet. Um, but I have considered the, the memory of like Odo potentially being in, Chilled. I don't know. This is, this is a little... no, cool. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Right. Well, I've really enjoyed this. I have to say that we've covered a lot of stuff over and over again with the character creations part one and two and then into here. But I think that's a really important point that all of this is, like I said before, not necessarily a linear journey. You don't necessarily start from like a point A and end up at point Z. You, you'll come around in circles a few times and ultimately it's really important to just do whatever gives you the most enjoyment out of it because everyone is going to do things differently and everyone will have their own ways of of thinking the way their brains work is different so just as long as you have fun doing it then keep doing it i think is is my ultimate ultimate thinking thanks so much guys for sitting down with me again i've had a blast and i hope you have too Thanks to everyone for listening. And if you can't be cool, be wicked. See you next time. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Bye, Joe.
Bye. Wherever you found us today, don't forget to like and subscribe for more great content. And if you want to find out more about what we do, how to support us, pick up some merch and find links to our friends like JB Media, visit us at wickedcoolkids.co.uk.